the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We are ending a series today called God's Mind on Money. And the reason we're doing that, not so much the ending of the series, it does have to come to an end, although there is so much in Scripture. There is so much I want to share with you that we're going to do a special postscript special presentation to put the bow on the topic of God's mind on money. And I'll tell you what that is. We're going to do a very special question and answer time in January. Now, when we do this, we're going to set it up a little bit differently. It's not me preach, you listen. I'm going to have one of our dear friends, Phil Robertson, up here on the stage with me. We're going to set it up real special. Cameras will be here because we want to film it, put it on YouTube and other places as well as all of these messages. And I'm going to take your questions about the topics that you didn't hear the answer to during my message. Now, one funny thing will be if you ask a question and I preached on it, it'll let me know you weren't here that Sunday. All right? But those of you that might have other questions, you can certainly do that and we'll try to answer them. Now, you guests that are here, the reason I said that uh, we want you to receive and not to give, because I'm going to be talking about giving today. We've covered a tremendous amount of material, and we're on the third G of the entire issue of God's mind on money. We talked about how to get our money. Did you know that in the Bible there are biblical ways that God says that we can receive money? Now, we know that He gives us the power to get wealth, but how does He do that? So we don't fall underneath the umbrella of name it and claim it and health and wealth and all of that. What does the Bible have to say? And then we cover the aspect of not only do we get the money, but we kind of put it into a bucket. Remember that? But if we have holes in the bottom of the bucket, it doesn't matter how much money you get. It's all going to kind of drain out. So we talked about how do you guard your money. And there are biblical ways to hold on to that money so that you'll be able to accomplish that which God has for you in your life. And so we had a wonderful time talking about that. Well, obviously, we're into the final G, which is how do we give our money? We spent a great deal of time last week talking about understanding what the Bible says about giving in general. We talked about the different ways that people might give their money. Well, today I want to be a little bit more specific, and I want to talk about to who do we give our money, and then once we know to whom to give it, how should we actually give it? So today I think we're going to take all of what I've said before, and then we're going to kind of bring you to a foundational bit of teaching here. So if you'd like to, why don't you open up your worship folder, dig around in there, you're going to find our little outline. Feel free to use that, make notes on it, whatever you'd like, maybe even put some questions down that I didn't answer and send them in to me and I'll work on that for next year when I do that special presentation for you. If you'll understand as we go through this that there are some wonderful benefits for being debt-free and being out of, uh, out of debt. 
We talked about when you really get a handle on your finances, there's a sense of peace that comes over you. It kind of like takes away that worry about how am I going to pay for this and what happens if I don't have enough money and that happens or this happens. So it gives you a sense of peace when you have a good understanding of the money that you have, that God has given it to you, and now you have it as a tool to build with, not a toy to play with or a weapon to do war with, but it's something that you can build with. But it also gives you something else. When you have the money then, then you're able to do what God wants you to do, which is to provide for the basic needs of life for you and your family. We're going to open that up in a bigger way in a few moments. But not only that, so it's not just having peace, not just enough to take care of my family, us four, no more, shut the door, but it's also so that we would have this so that we can then help build the kingdom of God, provide for the needs of others, so that it kind of is the the oil that greases the wheels so that others can move forward and help them as well. So we learn that having that financial freedom gives us the privilege to do all of that. And then you'll recall that we covered what we called a, a conviction. And I encouraged all of you to take this conviction, pray through it, sense if this is a conviction for you personally and maybe for you and your family. And if it is, teach it to your family, make your decisions based on this conviction, maybe even to remind you, put it up on your refrigerator door or whatever, or you could put it right next to your computer if you use some software for your finances. But this is a great conviction to own. If you look at it in your worship folder, I'm going to ask all of us if you'll read it out loud together. Can we do that? Look there if you will. Here's our conviction that our money and resources have been given to us from God and must be earned, managed, and given away for His glory according to clear biblical principles. So we understand what we have came from the Lord. Now we need to earn it. We need to manage it. We need to give it. We do it all for His glory, but we need to do it based on what we call clear scriptural principles, not twisting scripture, not taking a verse here and a verse there out of context and making it work for us but to realize that Scripture has a lot to say about it, but we have to understand properly its interpretation in the context that it's given. Well, now let me begin answering the question, because some of you might be asking, to whom should I give it? There's going to be two categories. These are two large categories, and then I'll give you some smaller categories so that you could uh, understand. When you finally have the money, you now realize that you've been given it to take care of your needs, but also the needs of others. Who would you give it to? Well, here's number one. We should provide for the basic needs of our family. Now, that is always important. Now, you might be surprised, but there are some Christians that are so overboard on their giving that they would often give beyond what they would need for their own family's need. And I'll tell you, that will create a great deal of resentment to those people in the family that don't have basic needs when they see a family member giving what should be taken care of for the family to others when they themselves are suffering so much. So the Bible does talk about taking care of family. It not only does it in the New Testament, but it also does it in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament really has some unique ways to look at taking care of your family. One passage in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy reminds us that when you have funding, resources, that as an inheritance would go on to the family, the oldest or firstborn son would get a double portion than the rest of the kids. Well, that in itself opens up, do you give every child the same amount equally? Well, in the Old Testament, you weren't required to do that. It was suggested, almost into a command, that you would give it to your firstborn. Now, why was that? Does it sound like favoritism? You just got, quote, lucky to be born first, so you get more of the dough? No, it wasn't that at all. You have to take yourself back to those days of the Old Testament when there was a lot of need. The family really was trying to eke out a living and to take care of one another. There was a great familial relationship that they had. 
Today we live in an environment where there's a lot of fractured families, a lot of dysfunction going on that wasn't so much in the Old Testament times, especially with the Jewish people. And so with that, why would they give it to the oldest child? Why would he get a double portion? Because should mom or dad die, decease, and that was a high probability in those days for a myriad of reasons, you could only understand how that would be, then who would take care of the family, especially the youngins? Well, obviously the older one would because that person been around a little bit longer, probably learned more from mom and dad, the value systems of life and all that's necessary. So more was given to the older child because the older child then was to help the rest of the family to be able to grow and to develop it. And so we could open that up and spend a lot of time with, but the bottom line was this. When something came into the family, the family needed to be taken care of first. Now hear the word first. It didn't say only. But in the Old Testament, it didn't end there. It also told grandparents now that they had a responsibility and what they were to do was to pass their inheritance down to not the next generation, but the one below that as well. Generally, that would set up a good economics because usually the third generation, that second one down, would be this. They would want to buy a house. They would want to be able to function a little bit better. So this would provide a little bit for that younger generation upon which to build. So often the grandparents, while they want to take care of their kids, sometimes their kids are pretty well grown. They're a little bit older. Grown kids are grown. But the younger ones now. So you might consider, now if I am leaving something for my grandchildren, you might want to make sure that it's given to them at the appropriate age so they can make the right decision. They're given right counsel once they receive that. And that that money would be used to take care of their basic needs. Some people would think an education would be their basic need of life, and it might very well be because if we don't have the tools of of knowledge, how can we then have a life and then provide even for the next generation? But it also could be that which they would need for their own home to provide that for them as well. So at least run that through because it does say that a wise person will give to the second generation, to the grandchild. But it also moves into the New Testament. And it was actually this passage that I've left you in your worship folder notes happens to be embedded in, a, in a, a proclamation to Timothy, who was to then live this and teach it to the church he was pastoring, especially when there was widows present in the church. Now, it divided up the widows. There were widows that were widows indeed. And I usually say a widow indeed is a widow in need. And so this was a widow. Now, this would be a widow that didn't have a family. So the church needed to be able to be there to provide for the family. That widow, when that widow had no family. If not, the family was to take care of them. And so there's a double teaching in there. One is we would take care of our widows here to make sure are their families taking care of them at least with the basic needs of life. If not, then we need to step in and try to help counsel, coach, mentor, work with them so that that widow is truly a widow who does not have a basic need of life need in her life. On the other hand, there's going to be some that will be widows forever. And they will not have any family for whatever reason. Family abandoned them, family died, etc. Go through a lot of lists, but there's no one to take care of them. Well, then the church needs to have within itself a mechanism of how do you provide for that woman. Now, let me not say it's not every widow who even got from the church. These widows had to fit a certain particular list of qualifications, which again fits into the entire economy of churches. And that's why you want to have a church or a pastor that will teach you and preach through the whole counsel of God to prepare the church foundationally to be able to take care of these other needs. Otherwise, again, you'll have a dysfunctional faith family. And so it's important to do that. So the bottom line right here is simply this, that when we're providing for others, we want to make sure that we provide for them with our family first. We take care of their basic needs of life. And that's a key phrase that I I want you to know, not only, but at least first. 
Now let's go to the second large group, and that would be, of course, the church, all right? We want to talk about that. And in this case, we're going to talk about providing for others broadly. What about those who are lost? What about our missionaries? What about mission organizations? What about just dumping our money in the offering plate in the church? So I'm going to talk about the topic of just others. Then I'll specify what we mean in Scripture by others. First is your family, and then the, the other group would be totally other people. And when we talk about providing for others, there's a lot of people that have need. I, I traveled yesterday with Carol a little bit out and about, and when we did, we saw two, um, I guess, older middle-aged people that didn't look like they had a lot. They were shoving a, a shopping cart loaded with stuff. It looked like uh, more homeless. It was raining. They were beat down. They were trying to push it down a sidewalk in a residential area. I, I just, my heart went out to them. Those of us who lived in Hawaii, as you well know, for 11 years, we saw tens of thousands of homeless people in Hawaii. I cannot express to you how many there were. And even recently they were talking about people that were coming from Puerto Rico here and then they did a little talk thing on the radio where people could call in and give their opinion and someone said, why don't we just send all those people to Hawaii? And I said, well, they already are. You know, they're just, they're everywhere that's there. And so they're always out there in some measure in need or panhandling. But what is the church's responsibility to do that? The Bible has an answer. The Bible does not have to be made relevant for today. It's not an old, dusty book. It's very relevant. We just have to study it in the context of humanity today. So I do want to talk very briefly about that because I want to give you a bigger picture of what you might consider as a vetting process when you are going to give. That might help you decide how do we do this and when we do it, etc. So the bottom line is we want to give to others. Now in the two groups of others... We'll be, we want to give to the church, and then we want to give to ministries, we might call that, and we might also call those individuals as well, those suffering poor people that's out there. So let me talk about the importance of giving to the local church. Now, that didn't leave you a lot of room in your notes, so you take down whatever you feel is important for you or those of you that are listening while you're driving as this is on the radio or sitting there maybe perhaps in front of uh, your, your internet and listening on, on uh, the web. Order my notes. Ask for my notes. I'll send them to you freely, and they'll have a lot more information. But how important it is to consider giving to the local church. I believe our core giving ought to go to the local church. I believe it because I believe that's what the Bible implies if it doesn't actually specifically teach to do this. I believe it should be done first and through the local church. Now, remember, not only, but it's done filtered through the local church. But not just any local church. And I'm certainly not going to fly the flag of this church, not saying it's the bad church. I want you to know more of a principle. It should be done through the local church. But the reason I said not any local church, there's a lot of good churches, a lot of good do-gooder churches out there. There are a lot of churches that have a, a good heart to do what they're doing. Some of them are wrapped better together functionally to be able to do this kind of stuff. But even then we have to remember the purpose of giving is in some measure to help this per- person either momentarily or longer, but yet so that that person, listen carefully now, would come to faith alone in Christ and then to go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of God. It is not to make their life better only to go to hell. But I also can't just give them the gospel when they can't hear me because they're so hungry, so cold, so lost. And so I have to come alongside them. And so we see examples of Jesus doing that properly. with all. So I would make this little list, maybe this might help you. If I'm going to give to a local church, the first thing I want to do is I want to fund feed, and strengthen churches that are biblically sound. I want to know that my money 
is going to a church that's biblically sound. If I believe in sound doctrine, and sound do- and I should know by now what it is, or growing to know what it is, watch, listen carefully, but also knowing that that is a very high core value to me, then why would I want to give my money to someone else who's trying to help other people, but will they ever even reach out for them for the gospel's sake? And if they do, what kind of a message is it going to be? In other words, I'm just helping people to be better to die and go to hell. Keep that always in mind. All right, There are a lot of organizations that might do that, but for me and my house, I want to make sure that we do it to someone that is biblically sound. In addition to that, they can be biblically sound in their doctrinal statement, but they, they don't live it. They don't teach it. They don't preach it. In other words, they're not committed to Scripture. So I can have sound doctrine, but you know the Bible is another good book. No, the Bible is not another good book. It is God's mind and heart on paper. And do they have a sound doctrine, but now do they really elevate Scripture so that what they do and the choices that they make are biblically based? And I want to give that money to them because then I know that they will, here it is, wisely make the decisions to be discerning in who needs the need, how much they need, what they need, what do they need first, second, third, fourth, how long will they need it, how is this really going to help them in the bigger picture? So again, are they following Scripture? Are they following the great confession? In other words, are they really confessing that Jesus is Lord? Is it all about building their own little empire of a church? Is Jesus Christ really the center of it, or are they magnifying a model that they have? And so I want to make sure that Christ is the very center, and it exudes glorifying the Lord in Him alone. Are they following the great commandment? That they love Him, they'll obey Him, they'll love others, they'll love those whom the Lord loves, and then the great commission. Are they helping people, like I said a moment ago, come to faith, but also... Are they helping them to be discipled? Discipleship is really the end product. So I want to help them, that person, whoever it might be, and to do that, I want to help them ultimately spiritually. All right. So I'm looking to give to a church like that. Now, some of you might be resisting what I'm saying, so let me uh, open up some more reasoning with you for a moment. Just, just, just. Listen and see where you are with this thing on a biblical basis. Now, let me come back and come up for air a little bit. I'm going to give you um, why you should give to a local church. I told you the kind of church to give to, but I want to talk about why you should give to the local church. I'm going to give you seven reasons. Again, you're going to have to write these down or get them later because there's a lot of stuff I want to give you today. These seven, though, are born not so much on a clear representation of Scripture. So these aren't seven verses. On the other hand, as you go through these things, Scripture does talk about by having the, 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 the mind of God, you'll have to have the mind of Scripture. So what I'm sharing with you is taking Scripture and wisdom and discernment and kind of mixing them all up in one big stew so that you could see the bigger picture of our giving. So let me give you seven reasons why our giving should be to, and watch this now, through the local church. All right, number one, the local church are often most aware of needs locally, regionally, nationally, and globally. I'm going to qualify that in a moment. But if it's a quality church that is doing God's work, God's way, for God's glory, then they should be aware of the needs of the people that's in their church, the local, the community, the region, the nation, and even, we'll say, global. Now, can they really know everything that's global that's out there? Stay with me now. No, we could never know all that. Logically, we'll know the world needs Christ. We all know the only Christ that they ever are going to know is the Christ of the Bible. 
And the only way we're going to know that is if we can communicate them. We know that they have to be taught in their language. We have to know their language and all of that. So we get into those third, fourth, fifth world indigenous people groups that still need to be communicated with in the jungle or mountains. Okay, we got that. All right. But we, we can't do everything, but we can do something. So we have our missionary team. And so through our missionary team, we want to make sure that they're as much as possible adequately, fully funded and resourced to be able to reach them because we do know the world is out there. Now, all of this has to fit into a big system of doing this, which is, you'll see in a moment, how do you even select your missionaries? I'm going to give you that list today because when you get a missionary, you want to pray for them, you want to come alongside them, you want to love on them, but you also want to support them. But who do we support? We'll talk about that in a moment. Number two. Why should you give to the local church? Because qualified, trained, approved leaders coordinate the finances. Qualified, trained, and approved leaders are going to coordinate the finances. Now, that all builds upon ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, which means, okay, who is qualified to be a leader of the church that is entrusted with your finances? And are they trained so that they not not just qualified? Okay, they don't, uh, you know smoke and chew and go with girls will do kind of thing. It's not just that, but they're trained in how to ascertain the needs of people and how to properly use the money and how to balance it out to a greater vision. Are they trained? And have they been properly approved so that they may have all of this, but the people don't know them, so how can they trust them? You can't trust someone unless you know them, and you're asking the people to trust them with their money that they've worked hard for, especially retirees who are living on Social Security, and you're saying they ought to be able to give, and they should but they ought to be able to give to some people that they can trust that their little bit of eek money that they want to give to the Lord is going to be wisely used. Now, we can't know everything. It may not always be used the way we exactly want it to, and that's where faith comes in. But those kinds of people need to be in office. And so here, we want to train our men to be the kind of spiritual leaders that can be able to handle the leadership of the church because they know that you're going to be giving them tens of thousands of dollars, and as the church grows, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe millions of dollars to be able to accomplish what? Bringing glory to the Lord, but through the resourcing of the people that are doing it and taking care of the needy that will always be with us. So you have to have the right kind of people to do that. Now that in itself is another sermon. So you have to see how when we talk about money in the Bible, it's tied to everything. Money is from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, the third reason you get to the local church is that the dis- disbursements of funds is diversified to provide for evangelism, discipleship, and ministries of mercy. In other words, when the uh, leaders of your church, the elders, receive your money, they may commission a team to do some evaluations, evaluative studies, and surveys, and needs, which are not inappropriate, but ultimately the buck stops with the leaders. I will be giving you verses in a moment. And so it comes to them. Now, when they get that, it's not just so they go out and buy a new car, or get a better office for themselves, or, or fund their friends. It's so that in their mind, they're realizing this money is to be used to evangelize to disciple, as well as to take care of those that have special needs so that ultimately evangelism and discipleship are taking place. And it's in the context of families and little ones that are born and things like that. But all of it is for a bigger person purpose so that they have this, you give it to them so they can carefully and prayerfully with knowledge because when they've taken on that role, I am an elder, they have said, I am willing to say no to a lot of other things that other people can do that I now will not have time for. But that's okay, because I see my calling as a high holy calling. All right, number four, because some of you might say, ooh, the money goes to evangelism, discipleship, ministries of mercy. I didn't hear anything about worship in there. Well, here we go to number four. 
worship and giving are synonymous. That I really feel that when we're giving to evangelism discipleship, what will sustain our evangelism discipleship will be, here it is, authentic worship. If I really love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, if I really love Him, that's my worship, it's going to make me want to love others. And to love others, I'm going to see them as just, I just love my neighbor. No, I love my neighbor, and what needs does he have? What can I do to help them? And so all of a sudden, my money comes with that, but that's tied because of my worship with Him. So I'm giving, and I'm governed by my giving, by my worship with Him. So when you drop your money here, we don't ever take an offering. Here. We never take an offering at this church. Taking means we want your money, okay? We may, but we don't take it, all right? We receive what you're giving. And what you're giving is another form of your worship. When our dear brother Gordon prayed this morning for the offering here, and, and people, well, we leave our, our, our buckets in the back. That's great if that's the way you want to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a sign of, I don't want the, the, the new people to think we're, all we do is talk about money. I, I understand. Or we want to do it more privately. We want the right hand to know what the left hand is doing, all that. I, I get all of that. But also, don't criticize those who say, no, we would like to publicly pro- provide this. I don't sing with my mouth closed. I sing with it open. I do it because I love the Lord. And what I give, I don't give it to be seen of men. Will I be seen of men? Sure. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. What's wrong is if I'm doing it so that you will see me, drop that money in. So this is my form of worship, and now together we're doing this. So that's just as right as the other ways. So there's no one right way. As long as you know whichever way you do it, please do it as your your worship to the Lord, as much as you would your singing and praising and all of that. All right, number five, we give to the local church because we, and I'm going to be selfish here, we, the, the members, we receive personal, spiritual, and eternal benefits You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.